Hi guys, for the next 42 minutes, you're gonna learn all about due diligence, term sheets, what on earth a liquidation preference is, and how we make investments. So make sure you tune in. So hello and welcome to episode four. Can't believe we're that far through this already. Um, you'll be very pleased to know that we have the dream team back this week in Fred and myself, Simon. So hello everybody out there. Hi guys. Um, we are, after a couple of weeks on the road actually, going to be taking this back a little bit more to kind of our original mission, which is, which you know, is very exciting news from our perspective, which obviously from the very start has always been about demystifying venture capital and investing more generally. And so we're going to do an episode today with, without interviewing any of our founders or any of our portfolio companies, but actually really just focusing down on the jargon and the kind of the wider world of what investing is and what it's all about and what, you know, all of these strange terms. Um, mean and how the process works actually so Fred and I are going to have a chat through that we're even going to do a you'll be pleased to know an A to Z um, of all those jargon terms so you'll never again be faced with those awkward situations when you're talking to a seasoned investor and they talk about I'm not sure if this is like a test (laughs) it is for you (laughs) oh dear yeah indeed I'm sure we'll pass with flying colours let's hope so anyway otherwise everybody's in trouble (laughs) Um, so yeah so that's kind of you know where we're we're coming at with this and you know because there are lots of scary words out there you know burn rate dilution convertible notes we can go on and on and on so really important let's let, let's let's strip this back start at the very beginning and i thought a nice way of doing this fred might be for us to kind of talk about the process that a founder and then investors go through from an idea of right okay i need to raise some money how does it end up with investment so yeah why don't we talk about how a how a how a company comes to us. Well, I guess we can kind of talk through the process end to end. Yeah. So I guess the first step in that process is that a company has decided to raise money for whatever reason, um, and uh, we end up with somehow with a pitch. Um, and actually, the majority of our pitches, we've probably seen six hundred uh, decks this year. Um, mm-hmm. So quite a lot for a for a, a kind of a modest size fund like ourselves. Um, and most of them, probably 80% of them, have come from a warm introduction. So by a warm introduction, I mean either from a connection or uh, one of our portfolio companies, one mm. of our existing founders, um, or uh, for an introducer. So we have a, a bunch of people out there that kind of work with us to, to bring deal flow to us. Um, often they work with portfolio companies in certain verticals. Yeah. Um, so that may be retail or B2B SaaS. Um, or uh, kind of incubators, accelerators are the other place. I think it's probably also worth saying as well, though, isn't it, that if you're if you're somebody out there with an idea, don't let that put you off because lots and lots of people do reach out to us completely cold through absolutely. LinkedIn, through the site, and all that kind of stuff. And we absolutely do end up investing in those businesses. It's not to say that we need to know the founder before we invest. You know, the opposite is often true. Just that that's kind of how I think we come across most of the kind of the yeah. best ideas. Yeah, and we uh, we kind of have a whole pipeline in terms of how we work. So they they drop out. Out at various stages for, for various reasons, either on our side or their side. Um, but if we look back at this year, we've made five investments from from six hundred decks. Yeah, um, I guess it's probably fair to say we're quite selective. Yeah, um, I think that's very true. And yeah, 
what we're really aware of, you know, because we are ultimately investing very much um, as smart money. So, you know, a, a big part of what we do is actually helping the companies afterwards and really, mm. you know, rolling up our sleeves and, you know, helping them out with the experience that we've got. So we like to invest in stuff that we know, which is probably why we say no to the majority. And it's not because they're not great ideas, right? Yeah, we actually turned down a, a bunch of ideas that are really good, which yeah. is kind of add value or add support, which is kind of our model. Um, so once someone's come to us, um, we kind of do an initial uh, filter. Um, so even though we make it pretty clear the kind of verticals and um, areas we invest in um, and stage we invest in, we still get a lot of uh, uh, pitches that don't quite meet that top level. Yeah. Um, so we do a first filter. So often quite a lot will drop out there. Um, and then uh, what we do, there's, there's four of us here as partners, is a partner will sponsor a deal. So we mm-hmm. take... Um, uh, a couple of pitches each a week or whatever that may be and we'll have an initial call with the founders and at that point really that initial call is not about getting into the detail too much it's just about connecting understanding exactly where the fundraising process is and actually where they are as well as a yeah, business really importantly absolutely. because you know as, as i'm sure we'll come on to often seemingly in today's um kind of climate as well the some good ideas are ruined by um crazy valuation settings from the start which is unfortunate isn't it yeah absolutely um so we have those conversations with founders and then uh we tend to move deals forward relatively quickly um so by that um i said this to one of our uh one someone in our pipeline last week we do everything um unanimously uh, not by majority so that means we all have to be on board for for an investment decision. So, once we've once we've had an initial call with founders, we then start to dive into the detail a lot more. So for us, that involves various meetings focused on product commercialization, marketing, where the business is today. Uh, we request a bunch of DD, whatever's in place today. Now we do invest quite early, so yeah, we, we should do. point out that quite often companies won't have a lot of uh, history uh, more often than not they're pre-revenue um, and that's fine mm. um, but we like to have something tangible so really MVP level is yeah. kind of what we look for yeah. um, we still get quite a few pitches for ideas um, which is which is fine um, but kind of MVP upwards is, is where we tend to invest so yeah so people will come to us with an idea they'll often have a deck you know that they will take us through that deck um, on an individual basis and then once we are once we feel like it's worthy bringing it to the kind of weekly partners meet we'll do that there then through that process we'll either say yes or no we all want to see that and then we'll arrange a secondary pitch if you like for want of a better word yep. they will pitch to us and then if we really like it then as fred said we will then dive into i guess the first stages of due diligence yeah and that dd we're looking for um, you know, a bunch of stuff. We're very interested in in how the founders have worked together, yeah. um, whether that's in a in a past life or, or current, um, and their dynamics. We're interested in challenges in the business and, and where they feel we can help. That's really important. To and us. we actually we like multi-founder businesses. Actually, yeah, absolutely. That generally, is quite important to us. Yeah. Not always, but it, you know, it can be a good sign. And you know, normally due diligence follows that financial due diligence, commercial due diligence, legal due diligence kind of tranche but when you're investing early sometimes there's very little if none 
in certainly potentially in financial for instance so it can be much more about actually the people that you're investing in than actually what the paperwork looks like yeah it's kind of people and product i guess for us yeah um and at that point we we form a picture relatively uh quickly or as quickly as we can on whether it's something we want to take forward or not um and then ultimately ultimately we we make a decision to take forward to our investment committee. So once we've made a decision that we'd like to, uh, we'd like to invest or, or like to move forward seriously into term sheet stage, um, we put together a pack internally, um, which is something that uh, funds have to do. So um, as, a, as a founder listening to this, it's, it's probably good for you to bear in mind that we have our, our internal governance that we have to follow. Yeah. Um, so, so bear with us through those moments. Um, and we put together a uh, an investment pack, which we then present to um, our investment committee, which is us and, and a couple of other guys. Um, and again, as I said earlier, we make a, a unanimous decision to progress forward. Um, we take deals to investment committee to be approved. So um, every deal we've taken to investment committee goes through um, or has to date, um, because that's you know where we've got to on our on our due diligence, I guess. Um, yeah, and then ultimately, if we if we agree that right, then it, then we get to what they call term sheet stage. Oh. And really interestingly, and one of the one of the key reasons for actually creating Hatch Ventures in the first place was that how we'd been investing as angels, but when it came to actually issuing term sheets and what you call leading the round, it was often very difficult to find somebody willing to do that. And we felt that ventures could do it. And actually that's kind of turned out to be really important, hasn't it? Yeah, I would say that the the majority of deals we've done this year, um, the founders have other angel investors or other investors that would like to participate in this round, but they don't want to lead the round. So they don't want to set the valuation. They don't want to do the DD really. Uh, they don't want to do the legal and, and paperwork. They probably don't want to sit on the board. So founders will often come to us with uh, however much money uh, committed from angels looking for a lead investor. And we like to lead. So mm. uh, all of the deals we've done this year now, actually, we've we've led, which is great. Um, and that's and that's kind of what happens next. So we, we approve the deal at investment committee and then we issue a term sheet. Um, a term sheet is a big moment because it kind of formalizes the discussions that both parties have been having and makes the intentions clear that we wish to invest. Um, probably a, a myth that we should bust is that term sheets, uh, the majority of the majority of the terms in the term sheet are non-binding. Um, so they're really kind of a, a path to get to the long form documents. Yeah. Um, but often for various reasons, deals can fall over um, once a term sheet's been issued. Um, and what happens is that the term sheet is agreed um, and often there's some back and forth, forth on, on, on terms that are included in there. I think um, probably our founders would say, uh, <laughs> I think they'd say to our faces, we're quite founder friendly. Um, yeah, I think I, speak to them if you want to know their, <laughs> their independent we, we'll do. We'll make sure we ask that question <laughs> yeah. next time we are and talk to the portfolios. So. Uh, but I think we have quite a, a founder friendly term sheet. Um, and ultimately, we're just looking for, for kind of the standard protections, which we'll talk about later. And I think uh, also it's worth it's probably worth um, framing um, what kind of numbers we particularly work at because we are very early stage, aren't we? So, yeah, I guess a typical round for us today is anywhere from kind of a couple of hundred grand up to between half a million and a million at a stretch. Yeah. Um, in terms of our investment check size, our average size check at the moment is a couple of hundred grand. So we've done one deal this year where we led and had no other investors, which was which was fine. Um, 
and that was about £150,000. And then kind of larger deals we've done this year, uh, we're about to do one that's, that's north of a million pounds. Um, we're leading with, uh, with a few hundred grand. So kind of um, that's kind of our average size, check size, I guess, and, and yeah. round size. Yeah, and then we'll, t- we'll talk, obviously, as we w- walk through this, what happens, you know, should those businesses be successful in further yeah, rounds. But for now, that's kind of how it works. Um, so, yeah, okay. So, so then, term sheet signed. Yeah. Um, so both parties are committed to moving forward. Um, and I guess a couple of streams of work kick off at that point. So typically our term sheets tend to be between the lead investor, i.e. us and the company. But quite often the term sheet will uh, will enable other investors to come in and, and follow on back to our point earlier. And on the term sheet, it says things like this is this is the valuation pre and post money. We'll talk yep. about that, what that means. You know, these are going to be the fees. These are the kind of legal commitments. Yeah, this this is we want a board seat or whatever it may be. Um, this how much we're investing. This how much we see the round being. Um, some kind of founders vesting and all that kind of stuff, which we can cover later. Um, so I guess typically then our founders will will kind of flaunt that term sheet around uh, the angel investors that have been kind of interested. Um, and at that point, you start to realize who's really in and out and people start to sign up to the, the same terms, which is great. Um, in parallel, we kick off the legal process. Um, so the legal process, our post-term sheet is creating the long-form documents. Um, so for us, which is relatively typical, that's an investment agreement. Um, which governs how the how the investors relate to the company um, and the kind of articles of association which governs how the company uh, runs and certain aspects of the company that have to be passed by either majority of shareholders or, or investors or board. Um, so we work through that and that really then becomes a very collaborative process between mm. the portfolio company uh, legal team and ourselves and our legal team. And that process can take anywhere from a couple of weeks to months. It depends how complex (laughs) the round is, how many other investors there are, um, how quick those other investors are. If there's other institutional investors, often they have their own set of lawyers as well. Um, So suddenly you can end up with maybe four or five different parties going back and forward. And it's it's often there where the the, the timeline's elongate, isn't it? Because, I mean, we've completed in as as little as six weeks from kind of initial, right, let's do this, to actually signing of long-form documents and actually the money landing. But then equally, it's taken six months, hasn't it, in other examples? Yeah, absolutely. And it tends to be... Uh, the more complex the rounds, the more the, the larger number of investors, um, the more complex it tends to be. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so obviously, so the, the long form documents are really the the legalese. They're really the documents where, in a founder's head, I guess, although it's probably worth talking about the realities of this. That's the moment when they're they're happy with everything. They sign those documents. It rains money. <laughs> They that's the champagne, champagne day, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, though, is it? That's no, really interesting. I think in uh, six years of investing now, I don't think we've had a champagne day moment. Um, yeah. Probably because that's when the real work kicks kicks Definitely. off, when the, when the money lands. Um, so just to finish our journey, the long-form documents get agreed by everybody. Um, at that point, there's then a clean set circulated for signature. Um, we we still live in a in a country that requires paper signatures for for deeds um, which our investment agreements are so this often takes quite a, a long time especially if you have lots of existing shareholders so so founders probably may or may not appreciate this but it's not just the new people that are signing up to this agreement it's all the existing shareholders so if you've raised raised a, a friends and family round from from 20 mates before that's yeah, another an 20 round yeah, or an angel round yeah. 
that's another 20 signatures um, needed on these docs. So that can take a bit of time. Um, all those docs are then held with the lawyers and then uh, we basically agree a day of completion, a bit like a, a house uh, sale. And on that day, funds are transferred and the shares are issued. And then, like you say, that, that though is when the real work begins because, you know, all the business plan and, you know, work that you've done and everything that you've talked about through that whole process suddenly has to be delivered, doesn't it? Correct. And from our perspective, you know, again, we talked about this earlier, a really key differentiator in many respects in terms of how we work is that that's when our work starts as well. So then we we always take a board seat, don't we? Yeah. Well, wherever humanly possible, we take a board seat and then, you know, we're right in there in the detail. And um, I think it's quite an important point to make that, you know, that's when, you know, we can walk in and start talking about, okay, what does... Because often it's about sales and marketing and product, isn't it, at that stage? Yeah, and maybe hiring is and probably hiring. a big key part. Um, you know, a company say you're a, you're an unfunded company that's just landed half a million to a million pounds. Is you know how do you spend that and deploy that yeah. efficiently? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where the excitement starts when when the investment's completed. Um, so hopefully that gives you a bit of an insight into kind of our deal flow process, how we assess opportunities in our pipeline, and then how we move them over to complete. And, you know, and if you are listening to this and you've got some great ideas, you know, by all means do reach out. Absolutely. You know, Simon at Hatch.com, Fred at Hatch.com, via the site, via LinkedIn, whatever you want to do, because, you know, you, you can absolutely work through that process. And, we you know, we are actively now um you know raising money for our next fund but also equally continuing to deploy so um you know next year is going to be an exciting one i think if you're looking for um investment so uh, do bear that in mind so that was that was really useful um fred i think what what would be really nice to do i think because it is to do a bit of that jargon busting because that that's the process right yep within that process there are a number of phrases that mean nothing to anybody outside of the world, direct world of M&A really. Mm. So I thought it'd be useful for us to, like a test, go through those and we can talk through those in turn. A to Z as well. So there is Excellent. some semblance of order. So the first Shall one we got, score them. At the yeah, end? Let, yeah <laughs> let's absolutely. But the first one is um, on the list I've got here is accredited investor. So probably worth talking about why that's important and how that's changed recently. So uh, accredited investor uh, is kind of a term which defines um, an investor who meets certain requirements, um, either set by the SEC in the US or the FCA um, in the UK or, or whoever in Europe um, and so on. And for us, um, that's important because we operate a fund. So alongside our own money, we have other investors invest into our fund. Um, and those investors have to either be high net worths or, or professional investors. Yeah. Um, our fund as a high risk product is not open to kind of retail investors who are, uh, you know, kind of um, people who invest in off the shelf products. Um, for your perspective of if you're a company raising money, ultimately, ultimately again, you're, you're a high risk venture. Um, some would argue, we'd, we'd, we'd try and argue that you're not, but you're a high, high risk venture. And as such, you need to be careful on who you're taking money from. Um, so the good news is, is, yes, you can raise family and friends rounds. Yes, you can raise from individual angel investors. However, really, the rounds start to become a lot more serious when you start to get uh, lead investors in or accredited high net worths or professional investors like ourselves as a fund. Yeah. Um, so just something to keep in mind, really. It's not, a, it's not a do and don't. It's more a do and don't for us. And, um, and, and there is now legislation in place where, you know, if you want to invest in 
a fund like ours, then you have to, you know, go through a process to classify you, yourself yeah, as a professional investor or high net worth. So we actually don't accept, uh, we don't even share our IM um, until we've received um, various docs from, from people who are interested um, in investing in our fund um, because it's not an off-the-shelf retail product. Yeah, of course, um, of course. So yeah, that's a good one. Okay, good. So next, we're already in the bees. This is, oh, gonna, this is going to fly. Um, board observer rights, and actually kind of, I guess, we've mentioned board, earlier yeah. board, you know, general board involvement, I guess. Um, okay, so this is a good one. Um, so typically, uh, I guess most people know that companies tend to be governed by a board um, at, at one level or another um, of directors. Um, what people may or may not know is that quite often investors like to join that board or if investors can't join that board for various reasons, they join as an observer. Um, so what that means in English is it's uh, is that some people will have a right to attend board meetings, to input into those meetings, to talk at those meetings and to listen at those meetings, but not to vote on matters. Uh, how we tend to structure our documents, being really open, is we like to have a board seat given the stage we're investing at. However, more often than not, we link that to a, a stake, an equity stake. So we say uh, for as long as we hold a minimum of X percent in the company, we will have the right to have a board director. Um, and then we have a second kind of lower tier that's for long as uh, we own Y percent in the company, uh, we have the right to have a board observer. Um, so ultimately, we tend to always take board director rights if possible, um, but quite quite often we see other investors, kind of maybe the second largest investor in the round, want to attend board meetings but not be on the board to vote. And that's a really good point. So really, really simply speaking, what's the difference between board observer and board seat? Uh, one can vote and one can't. Yeah, perfect. Okay, we're on to the C's. <laughs> This is exciting, right? We're trying to make this as exciting as possible because it's actually really, really important. So cap table, what is a cap table? Uh, so cap table stands for capitalization table and uh, cap table uh, basically shows the ownership structure of the company. So in simplest form, these tend to be Excel documents. Uh, people are moving to kind of online uh, equivalents, but today typically the Excel documents, which very simply list each investor um, or shareholder of the company, uh, the number of shares they've got, the class of shares they've got, typically how much they've invested, and ultimately what that means in terms of percentage in the company. Yeah. And the, the, it's, re it's really interesting time actually for cap tables because the, the how you raise money has changed quite a lot with things like crowdfunding and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So actually, cap tables can be really quite complex now. And we have they? a we have a couple of portfolio companies which have extremely complex uh, cap tables with lots and lots of investors, uh, nominee structures, um, lots of different share classes, um, especially when people invest for EIS. So we're an EIS fund. We, we take uh, advantage of a tax-efficient EIS scheme um, run by HMRC. So we have to have a, a certain share class. Um, so yeah, cap tables can become very complex very quickly. Um, we're starting to move portfolio companies to various online platforms, um, but typically we still see them in Excel today. Very good. So next we have capped, I guess uncapped, convertible notes. So really we're talking about notes yeah. here, even though it's under C. But. So convertible notes is, a, is an interesting one, uh, very popular in the US, um, starting to become a lot more popular in the UK, um, less uh, popular for us as um, a typical convertible note is not EIS friendly. Yeah. Um, there are some caveats to that. 
So a convertible note is, a, is, is essentially an instrument of uh, debt. So it allows you to take some debt into the company that will convert on a fundraising round in the future. And the reason that's uh, exciting or the reason that's important for, for founders is you may have just raised a seed round uh, six months ago. You're planning to raise a Series A round or a follow-on round in a year's time and you either want to bring some more money into the company or you have some investors that would like to invest. Um, but what you don't want to do for various reasons is either set a valuation now or to go through the whole process of, of yeah, uh, a full round, of a yeah. full round yeah. um, which is complex for all the reasons we discussed. So a convertible note can be a very simple piece of paper which says for your £100,000 investment, you will receive uh, equity on the next round. And the difference between capped and uncapped is a typical convertible note in, in the UK at the moment is kind of 20% discount on the next round. So if we invested £100,000 on a convertible note on the next round, say it was at a £10 million valuation, we'd get a 20% discount. Um, the difference between capped and uncapped is capped kind of does set a price, but it sets an upper limit. So the capped note may be a 20% discount or £8 million, whichever is higher. Um, so relatively popular, very unpopular for EIS funds. Um, we're starting to do a couple of EIS friendly ones uh, uh, where we can, but really we prefer priced rounds for our, our stage of investment. Yeah, it, it can, like you say, it can be very, very interesting, particularly if you've, you're in a high growth business because you're getting in early because you know then that the likelihood is that let's say Series A is going to be quite a lot higher. Yeah, you're going to and especially if you're an investor that doesn't want any rights or is happy with the current board structure yeah. and everything that's in place and you just want to invest you know, money now. It's a, it's a nice way to do it. Yeah, quite a common thing. And then we have, and, I, and I, what I would say for this next one is if you take nothing else from any of the rest of them as an investor, but I guess as a founder as well, that horrible word that keeps everybody awake at night, dilution. We should have a sound effect. For that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Screaming. Yeah. Horror. So, uh, look, you found a company with, with you and a, and a founder, let's say you own 50% each. Um, every time an investor comes in, you are selling stock. Um, so people are, are, are diluting you. Um, and every time you raise more money in the future, all of those shareholders are being diluted. So this is a, this is a, a constant kind of balancing act, both for founders and investors, um, because we may buy, say, 5% of a company, but know that in the future you're going to raise a Series A and you're going to give away another 20%. So suddenly we lose 20 percent of our five percent same for the founders um this all comes back to that cap table and often as part of our due diligence we do various kind of modeling on what will happen in the future um not just for our stake i think most people would think we we just care about our stake but actually we're very uh focused to make sure that the founders are incentivized in the future that's well. really important isn't it? um so you know there's there's no point investors owning the whole of the business and the founders not being incentivized or, or being rewarded and you do see that don't you where that's not structured correctly and they end up going well why am i working so hard making everybody else rich when i've lost everything absolutely yeah um, so kind of a balancing act, um, but yeah, dilution uh, definitely keeps founders and investors awake. And you know, you can use anti-dilution, another word there, can't you, to yeah. kind of protect yourself a little bit from that. So anti-dilution is, is, tends to only be used on uh, kind of down rounds. So by that, I mean a, a, a company is not performing as well as they plan to, and they have to raise another round of financing at a lower valuation. Um, 
and therefore you, you tend to see some anti-dilution clauses. Um, but outside of that, really, um, people have to accept that, that as companies raise more money, um, we either have to participate um, to protect ourselves, and we can talk about that later, um, or um, you know people continue to be diluted. Yeah. Now, in theory, the valuation is obviously always increasing, Indeed. so your, your, uh, your overall percentage, although lower, is worth a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, so the swings and roundabouts, but yeah, and nothing stops you as a human being, I guess, particularly as an investor or a founder in going, well, what, what could have been though? And that's yeah. where dilution yeah, yeah. hurts. It's always the it? challenge. And it's if you don't follow on, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, okay, so something we really like to see, employee option pool. So what's one Really of those? important for us, actually, and, and forms part of all of our term sheets because of the stage we're investing at. So we believe that employees should be incentivized by stock, um, and the best way to do that in the UK is with an employee option pool. Um, so we tend to put in place a seed round, kind of a 10% option pool. Um, the number may fluctuate, um, but let's just call it 10% for, for uh, this uh, basis. And what happens is um, that's put in place as part of the round, nice. And then as we start to hire, back to our point earlier, as we start to spend that money and bring on senior team or, or, or bring on a bunch of product people or marketing or whoever it may be, um, often we're incentivized then with um, employee stock options. And essentially um, in the UK, we have a very tax efficient scheme called EMI, um, which allows you to issue uh, options to employees, um, which then allows them to exercise on an exit. Um, so how that typically works is um, we may give an option to an employee um, at a pound valuation today. The exit is a hundred pound valuation. Um, so on an exit, they exercise for a pound and they get 99 pounds different, basically. Um, so yeah, option pool is really important for us and often part of our term sheet. And back to the dilution point, you may be planning to raise around and, and sell 10% of your business, but you may have not taken into account a 10% option pool as well. Yeah. Um, so something yeah. to really bear in mind. Yeah, okay. Um, we're into the Fs. So uh, follow-on investments. Um, so this is about, I guess, us going back in or investors yeah. going back in. Um, so kind of funny for us because we're an early stage fund so our model is not necessarily to go back in and in and in however actually more often than not we do um because we uh get excited i guess yeah well um, you know and we see you know, doing you well see where, yeah the way they're going um, don't lots we? of excitement from our investor base um and ourselves so we like to go back in um so yeah you'll find um You'll find VCs and other investors uh, like to follow on. Because um, what it really means is that you're doubling down on what you think is going to be a really yeah. great company. And often, if I can jump to the P's for a second and we come back, yeah, uh, often we do uh, uh, follow on investors will kind of do their preemption. Um, so what that means is uh, follow on investors basically have the right to protect themselves from dilution by investing more money. Um, so say you're diluting by 20%, we might have the preemption right to participate basically 20% of the round um, or 20% of our number to, to keep our, our stock level there. So that's another way that follow-on works quite nicely. Yeah, so you tend yeah. to see that. Yeah, very good. Um, we've covered this a little bit, but lead investor is the role that we play yeah, more we often to, than not, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so we tend to lead. That means we're leading the legals, the term sheets, the valuation. Um, we're doing all the heavy work. Yeah. Very good. Um, preferences. That's a, that, this is a really interesting area, isn't there? Because th th there's some complexity and some very lots of different ways of looking at this and versions of this, aren't there? Yeah, and um, 
Uh, we could talk about this for hours. Um, so if <laughs> yeah. people are interested, we could do a really boring preference-only episode. Um, <laughs> but to keep it really high level for this conversation, um, you would expect an investor that owns 10% of a company to receive 10% of the proceeds on a sale. That would be yeah. relatively straightforward. And this is where people get caught and out. And this is well. where people get caught out. Um, preferences uh, protect investors. Um, and there's various different forms of them. Um, so a very typical preference could be 1x. So what that means is that uh, in a waterfall, uh, which we can talk about later, um, on an exit, those investors that had a 1x preference are entitled to 1x their money before anyone else is. So on a business that sells, let's say some, let's say some investors have put a million pound into a business, it sells for 100 million pound and they own 10%, the million pound is paid back to them first and then the 99 million that's left is distributed pro rata to people's shareholdings um, where it gets nasty and it's not something that we do um, is uh, where people have two or three or four x preferences we've seen that before and that's uh, not great and we wouldn't support that term sheet um, often ooh. often later term later later round VCs do that yeah. a lot don't they where particularly if they're putting in big tranches of cash and it starts to become really complex then in terms of actually modeling kind of an exit scenario and, and what that means so something to watch out for preferences um, uh, there's there's kind of a couple of different versions uh, participating preference non-participating um, that's all about whether this preference is in addition to pro rata or just pro rata um, so yeah some interesting things to watch out for yeah, definitely want to keep an eye on that one. Um, let's talk about pre and post money valuations as well, because mm. these come up a lot, don't they? Yeah, so we always talk about the valuation of the business, but ultimately what we're talking about is is a, a pre-money valuation for the business. So when we set a valuation for a company, we're talking about what that company is worth today, pre-money, um, based on, on, on our view of the world or their view on the world, often kind of a bit of both. Um, and what a post-money valuation is, is, is essentially uh, pre-money plus the amount being raised right now, that equals your post-money. So as a nice formula, again, a nice takeaway is if you want to work out um, how much uh, equity for an investment, if you take the uh, total investment and add it to the pre-money valuation, that gives you your post-money. And then if you divide what you're investing by your post-money, that will give you a percentage of how much you own. Of course, it's not always like that. Sometimes people try and add some extra on, don't they, Correct. if you want for a better term. Yeah. Um, so by using one of them, uh, and they can both be used in different ways, you can fix a valuation even if the company ends up raising more. Yeah. Um, or you could do, a, say, a pre-money valuation of $8 million, but they could end up raising half a million or a million, so the post-money changes. So yeah. it's kind of, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, most people talk about valuation, but there's kind of two behind the yeah. scenes. Yeah, really important to distinguish between those two. Then we come to an, a, a word that, is very important both through due diligence, but equally, I guess, when you actually start getting into the nitty gritty of running a business and thinking, I guess, about further rounds, and that's runway, right? So runway is about how much time that the startup has got before they run out of money in the yeah, simplest correct. terms, isn't it? Yeah, it's really straightforward for us. We want to see a minimum of kind of 12 to 18 months when we invest. 
Um, so if someone has a business plan that says they're going to spend £50,000 a month, we know that they need to be raising you know, X amount of money. Um, so it's very straightforward for us. And, and this is where another term that comes in a lot, burn rate comes in, because we, we like to understand, <laughs> i.e. how much cash a month yep. it takes to keep the lights on, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. That gives you your runway, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously, as, as, as our portfolio become profitable and lots of our startups are kind of scale-ups now, um, you know, burn goes down to zero and then becomes positive. So it's fantastic yeah. um, in terms of cash burn. Um, but yeah, for us, uh, the num- you know, one of the top kind of few things that's really important to us is, is how much cash each of our portfolio companies has and how long that gives them. So runway. Very good. And then we come to rounds or, you know, and another way of looking at it is we're, obviously we go early. So often we're mm. investing at seed, pre-seed, that kind of level. But it's probably worth, worth us talking about how that structure works generally and what kind of path it follows. Yeah, so I think if we look back 10 years, it used to be very straightforward of there would often be a seed round and then maybe a series A round, which was larger, and then series B, C, however long, however long a company continues to raise for. Now, with the introduction of convertible notes, angel investors, crowdfunding platforms, there can be a whole mix. So. Typically, our portfolio companies come to us and they've raised either a friends and family or yeah. an angel round. Um, so that may be a hundred grand, hundred and fifty thousand pound SEIS money, probably, and sometimes much less. Actually, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, we tend to invest seed. Um, some of our portfolio companies, we were with one a couple of weeks ago, um, has renamed our, our seed round pre-seed because <laughs> <laughs> he now wants to raise the seed round. Um, so fine. Um, so we tend to invest pre-seed seed. Um, more often than not, we we see either bridge rounds or a better term is seed extension rounds, which is, you know what, we don't want to raise a Series A today um, for various reasons. Because um, a Series A is the first kind of grown-up round. Kind of institutional, really? yeah, VCs yeah. in round. Um, so, yeah, seed kind of extensions or bridge rounds, often they can be convertible notes. And then kind of Series A is supposedly the first kind of institutional VC round Um you know, um, um, you know, typically for us, I guess our portfolio raise, you know, three, four, five million pound plus at Series A, yeah, um, and then you know onwards. It gets a lot more serious and a, and, a, and a lot slower actually at that stage, which is again is often why bridge rounds come in because yeah, you can raise absolutely. those much more quickly and put, you know, generally speaking, you want to push Series A out as far as you possibly can, yeah. really, don't you? So very good. Um, vesting. We're nearly there now. Everybody. Oh, excellent. We're in the V's. Um, yeah. So this is a really good one, actually, and, and we often have these conversations with founders because they see our first draft of the term sheet and then they say, hang on a second, what's this vesting period about? So you own, let's say, Simon's a founder and, and you own 100% of the company and we're investing and we're going to buy 20% of the company. Your 80% is significant, and which is fine. You started the company. However, we're investing and you could leave tomorrow and take your 80% with you yeah and now we own 20% of the company and we can't bring anyone else on or any of this kind of stuff so there's kind of vesting and and reverse vesting so in those scenarios we use reverse vesting provisions to basically say right you keep your stock it's your stock you've had it since day one no problem at all however to make sure you're committed to the business we're going to reverse vest it over a period of time Typically in the UK, we do uh, four years with a 12-month cliff. So what that means is that for the first 12 months, 
um, nothing nothing vests and then 25% vests on month 13 and then from thereafter for the next three years um, the rest 2% a month whatever it is vests each month um, it basically keeps founders incentivized to stay with the yeah. company and not to jump ship um, vesting is also always more often than not used in employee stock options mm. so again there's no point hiring an employee giving them 1% of the company and then leaving tomorrow again that typically vests over 3 or 4 years often yeah, or, with a 12 month cliff as or, well or even you know at and then you know actually they, they can actually vest it properly fully when it's um, when they exit yeah absolutely yeah, yeah which is important as well um, so yeah okay waterfalls we mentioned those earlier didn't so we so mentioned this earlier um, it's something that uh often um well always comes around on an exit really uh doesn't tend to come around on a on an investment round however founders should definitely bear in mind and this is around all of that stuff we talked about earlier around preference um liquidation preference who gets their money first different share classes ultimately it's if your business is sold for 100 million pound tomorrow um how is that money distributed and that's what the waterfall is so who's first in line who's second in line when does the debt get paid off? If there's a convertible note, when does that convert or be paid off? Which share class, which investors get money first? Um, and then the bottom of that waterfall list, which could be a really small list or could be a really long list, is actually the pro rata in terms of how much everybody owns of that business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, it's something to bear in mind. Um, and, it, and it's something actually that we as a fund, we, one of the key parts of our job as a business starts to grow and become successful, it becomes a really key part of what we do is actually protecting our investors in yeah. any future rounds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very good. Um, weighted average, and I, th I think th this is our last one for this us. This is our last one. Um, so this is more relevant to uh, uh, stuff around anti-dilution or even around um, vesting periods or um, kind of additional stock grants in the future. Um, and all it really does is that it takes into account um, share number of shares uh, issued, the total shares overall, uh, various stock prices. Um, so it's kind of like a ratchet, um, but doesn't necessarily take into account all of the same factors. Yeah. Um, so yeah, more often than not, you see that in anti-dilution clauses, um, which we hope anti-dilution clauses are never used because in theory, they're just to protect on yeah, down rounds. Exactly. Very good. Well, I think we made it. Think we got A to Z. Pass <laughs> mark is has been so achieved. I'm not sure if that was really boring or not, but hopefully there was some really insightful pieces. Even yeah. if it, you're listening to it and you're about to raise a round, and you or you've got a term sheet in front of you, um, maybe we've helped um, for free or a cheaper price than your lawyers um, yeah. understand a few of those terms. Um, because I think what's really important is that founders and, and obviously investors, but specifically founders understand these terms independent of their lawyers um yes you're going to have lawyers representing you however it's really important for yeah. you to understand what that 2x liquidation preference or what that a preemption clause or what that board observer right means in the future because ultimately it's your business not the lawyer's business yeah and you know it can come back to bite you in a big way which we've seen absolutely so yeah, yeah very very important to educate yourselves on these kind of things you know and like you say as an investor as well very important Brill. Okay. So I think that's pretty much it for this week's. Um, next week's is a very exciting one because it's our Christmas special before we uh, shut up shop um, until the new year. So we're going to do a bit of a year in review and actually talk about our first full year actually yeah, as running a regulated year. fund, which yeah. 
is going to be really interesting. We're going to, you know, warts and all talk about, you know, what we've learned personally from that process, you know, the challenges that we've had, you know, the opportunities that we see perhaps and the trends that we yeah, see next looking year. Forward to it. So, uh, yeah, make sure you don't miss that. Um, and, you know, make sure that you listen to any of the kind of the former podcasts if you're interested in hearing more about. And we, we launched uh, David from Popular's podcast last week. So yeah. he's the founder of uh, Popular, which is one of our uh, portfolio companies, really exciting in the AR space. Um, augmented reality um, Scots was the week before yeah there's um, some really good so yeah. it's good Tune. founder stories in there Absolutely. as well so if you're looking for that kind of um, inspiration over the Christmas period then make sure you tune in but um, that's it from this week and uh, we look forward to hearing from you uh, next week cheers guys cheers guys